Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of This Is Your Captain Speaking. Today I have Juliana Mendez, who is a fractional CMO and VP of Growth and advisor for B2B SaaS companies. Uh, Juliana has six years of experience as a fractional CMO. So for people that are listening that don't know what a fractional CMO is, it is basically a part-time CMO that works across a number of different brands. If you don't know what a CMO is, a CMO is the chief marketing officer. But being a fractional leader, it enables you to get numerous experience across a number of different companies all at once. You give a, a fraction of your time, hence the word fractional. Um, and she's worked at companies such as Allianz Europe, Lanes and Planes, Casafari, Madame Moneypenny, and Madame Moneypenny was one of the was one of the companies that we came across, and the person that reached out to you to do this podcast also a big fan of Madame Moneypenny as well. Just as a side note, but uh, really great to have you on, Juliana. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Sure, sure. So hey, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your experience. So let's talk first off about how you became a fractional CMO slash fractional leader. How did it work for you? How did it happen? So to be very honest, for me, it was like two things that played a role. One was I became a mother. Um, so I was already working as a consultant before, and I was um, just a bit tired of uh, all this networking and sales work. And I just realized as well that uh, I don't really have the time to do that uh, so much anymore. And um, that's why I decided maybe I, I really want to have more longer term projects. But at the same time, I didn't really want to have a full time role. So I wanted to really check first, like, is the culture fitting? I wanted to see things through. And these were all reasons why I decided to try this. I didn't know really back then that it was called fractional or whatever you do this. I was just doing temporary leading off marketing uh, teams or growth teams. So back then it wasn't really a term, to be honest, six years ago. I don't know you're probably familiar with that. But um, yeah, this is how it started. And I'm really enjoying it. I still do it. So yeah, that's how it all came. Super interesting. I think you said before that you were a consultant, right? Yes, I'm I consultant. Yeah, so so I find as well. So like I'm also a fractional CMO, right? So I don't like the word consultant. Like so, when people say to me, "Oh, you're a marketing consultant," I say, "Don't use the C word around me. That's a dirty word." You know, it's it's like consultant because you mentioned one thing there that was you said consultant, and then you said I actually wanted to move into more long term projects consultant is very much in and out the door give some advice don't really help follow through on that advice it's more to the existing team that's how i see a consultant comes in kicks over tables and then runs away and doesn't necessarily help the team bring anything that they've recommended over the line would you agree with that yeah exactly to me it was really way more strategic short-term projects and very often we built like great ideas and strategies but we couldn't really see them through so it was like, okay, so now what did they do with it? Did it work? So I felt like the learnings just didn't really flow back to me. And that's something I, I really wanted to know, though. So that's why I really like to, to be more involved. And if I create a strategy, I want to see if it works. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that I find quite interesting about working with a couple of different organizations is the learnings that I can have and the speed of learning, right? Tell me a little bit yeah. about like, how you find that so i see like okay i for myself i'm like i see this working at one specific organization and i think i can make that work at this particular organization i already know what the benchmarks are are you finding that as well yeah absolutely and that's how i 
Ty, I mentioned it as well when I'm talking to companies. I do have an accelerated learning process. I've led like 40 teams in the meantime as an advisor or a fractional lead. And for me, it means I got insights into a lot of different challenges, experiments, team structures, all that. And I can really draw from that depending on where I go and apply different learning. So yeah, it's really accelerated. And I also learned to just be faster because as a fractional, you know that as a, as a fractional CMO, you come in and sometimes you're expected to do magic in no time. And you need to basically build trust in very short time. You need to um, learn to get to know the team, the product, everything in really short time. So that's something I really need to do fast uh, when I'm coming in. And over time, Related to the thing we said before, I'm building really a set of frameworks, templates, best practices that I can pull from. And that really helps me in the advisory work and in the fractional work to um, help people to be successful faster. Do you just bring yourself in or do you have others that, that, that you bring in with you? That's a good question. I'm working with a trusted team of people. I come usually by myself, but I pull them in um, depending on what's needed. So I have great technical marketers, PPC people or designers that I'm yeah, trusting. And I really, I almost wanted to put this on my, on my page as well, that I'm offering a fractional team because I see that I continuously need that and people are really happy if I can work with someone who I trust who fulfills the standards that I have it's just faster sometimes as well 100% I also offer the same thing since yeah. almost a year but uh, it's it does add an additional layer of complexity because then you also need to manage a team as well like I think when it's when you're by yourself it's you don't need to worry about anybody else, right? <laughs> that's the that's the thing. When you start bringing other people in, you're essentially making you're looking after their well being and livelihood as well, right? So, it's 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 a challenge, but it's it's an interesting challenge, nevertheless. Yeah, I mean, the people I'm working with, they're fully independent, so it really is. You know, we call each other when we need each other or if we find that something could work out. And then um, if it works, it works. If not, if not, that's fine for everyone. And as a fractional CMO, I anyways need to lead the team. So then they are one more person in the team. Uh, I'm responsible for making successful. So, sure. um, yeah, that's how I see it. Tell me a little bit about where your wheelhouse is. Like, what is what are you specialized in? So you've mentioned growth. You've met like I've seen before the PLG is like product led growth and product led sales. They're they're things that you've mentioned as as core focuses for you. Like, what what makes you tick? Like, what is the thing when they say I need help with this? And it's like, okay, qualified. This is definitely a project that I want to work with. Yeah, it has been really developing over the years. I came more from the classic marketing top of funnel demand gen side of things. And I developed more and more and more into the um, product direction as well. So not just considering top of the funnel, but really growth and making sure that once you have a lead, once you're working with them, how do we make them activate? How do we make them stick to uh, the, the product? How do we um, yeah, make sure that they monetize better? So over time, that became for me more and more important in my work and um, in the offering I'm doing. And many, many times this really boils down to also product marketing uh, work. So I'm getting asked a lot to really help companies to 
evaluate if, for example, product-led growth, product-led sales is even for them and help them define the use cases. So I'm not the typical PLG growth person that comes in and really accelerates it once it's implemented. It's a step before, and it kind of saves companies a lot of time and money and running in the wrong directions to really understand when it's for you and when it's not for you. So just on that, tell me what your definition of product-led growth is and which types of products fit well into that product-led growth strategy. Yeah. So product-led growth is really once you are able to, with the product, to acquire, activate, and monetize users and possibly also the buyers then in the next step, right? So um for me, what I'm focusing really on is trying to understand, A, is a product developed in a way that they can activate and it fulfills a problem that the user has? So are they able to do it by themselves once they come in or do they need help from someone and do they have this problem? So. Of course, if we have several roles in the company and the user doesn't have a problem that the, the product is really solving, but it's solving for the buyer, that wouldn't be an ideal um, use case for product-led growth. Additionally, there's some considerations, for example, is this a dominant use case? Do you have already established some sort of focus journey that makes it an important use case for product-led growth? So A, is this for example, driving more than 70% of your engagement in the product, this specific use case? Is it something that people are already happy with and satisfied with how the product works? And how much barriers do they really have when they are entering the product to be able to experience the, the value from it? So these are really the, the elements that I'm looking at. But there's a, the other ones, for example, like um, how many users are there in the market? Is this a very niche product or is this something where you're able to reach a big amount of people? Because once you, if you want to go more in the product-led direction, you really need to be able to reach a big amount of users. Otherwise, it wouldn't work so well. So these are all things that we're looking at. Of course, there's also, there. I mean, several situations that I encounter as well. If there's a really new product category, something that people don't know yet how to use or how to derive value from, I typically also recommend to start with a more sales-led approach until we learn from, from them how it really works and until the user base really understands how to derive value from this product category. So it's not so easy to activate self-serve if you have never seen or heard of this category before yeah these are these are some considerations that flow into this and um i do believe there's a lot of no's much more than you would think and companies need to be aware that instead of just jumping into this trend because everyone does it that it's a really long and difficult process even more so if you have like also a sales-led motion established and that you need to be sure that you can focus on something that really makes sense. Fully agree. And like I, I've worked with a couple of companies, one particular company where they were trying to, they were early stage, right? They were, they just received, was it Series A or they maybe just, they just got seed. I think they just had seed funding. Um, and they were, they were convinced that they were, going to run down this product-led approach, right? 
and I looked at like what they were trying to do and they, they sort of, they brought me in at a point where they were like, okay, like we're doing product led growth, but we've also just hired two salespeople because we want to try to support that with some sales led. Our, our, our product pricing right now is $28 per user. Our total addressable market is super small because it's a super niche product and people it's, it's, it's like, it's a pretty unique product. And I was like, this is just going to end. And like, I was like looking at the, the, the revenue, I was like, how many signups are you bringing in a month? And the, the sign-up levels were dwindling. We're talking about 100 sign-ups a month for $28 a month per user. I was like, there's no way that this business can continue in this way. So I was like, that $28 a month, let's completely scrap that. Let's go pure sales-led. Let's just focus on demand gen and then driving demand to the product. Because within that within that base of customers that you're, or prospects that you're going after, they're super receptive to what you have to offer. But you need to warm them up a little bit and you need to build a relationship, right? So like the problem that they had, they were like listening to their investors and the investor was like, you need to go product led. You need to go product yes. led. That's the new the new hot shit, new hot shit. Quickly go product led, right? And at the same time, that like as, as and I, I was like, this makes no sense. And then we managed to triple the annual recurring revenue in one quarter just from completely flipping it, right? So oh, yeah. it was just insane. So like- Another company that I've worked with as well, like they they sell the and let's call it upper upper tier mid market to lower tier enterprise. So we're talking about annual recurring revenue of about hundred k, right? Yeah. And they they were like, oh, we need to go down more of a like a product led growth approach. And I was like, I'm not sure you understand what product led is. You know, like again, you're going after a niche or a smaller group of people. And you need to be, they need to be understanding, be brought in through the product. The product basically needs to be converting itself with that group. That's my understanding. The, the, the product itself needs to be converting them into customers just based on, as you said before, like this self, like uh, self-serve, right? Which is never going to be the case in such an expensive product. Like it's almost, I think, to do product-led growth at 100K ARR deals, annual recurring revenue deals, I think product-led growth unless I'm missing something is not really the right way. I guess would you agree? I, would, I, see, uh, I agree in the sense of um, very often these really big enterprise um, uh, targeting enterprise market, um, you also have really different needs between the buyer and the user. So you need to have a lot of stakeholders in there. So they are not usually the users of the product. And um, it's much more difficult to really bring that all together. You will, will not necessarily just sell the product if the users in the company are using it. You need to really have a lift to the buyer and need to make sure that the problem of the buyer is aligned with the user. So if that is fully aligned, I would say there's a chance you can use it for expansion for expansion within the company, but not necessarily for acquisition in yeah. product-led away. So yeah, yeah. And also in the acquisition piece as well, you're also going to have like, you might have a team that's, that's put in place to run like an RFP process, right? Which is uh, like procurement. So a yeah. procurement team is not really going to be testing the product per se, right? They're going to get a they're going to get a marketing team, maybe let's say it's a marketing product, right? The marketing team that I'm going to do, do their due diligence, look at, for example, Forrester reports, magic quadrants from Gartner. They might look at, um, they might look at G2, Captera, different things like that. They might get a demo or two of the product, 
But really, like when it boils down to it, the procurement teams are the ones that are doing the shortlist and they're the ones that are really going to be making the decision in terms of which ones are then presented to the real decision makers, which is probably sea level, right? So yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's... So it's not aligned and, and then it's really hard to to implement that. And to be very honest, very often then when I'm coming in, I see that these discussions around what are the use cases, what is the problem we're solving for different personas is often not even fully clear. So very often we need to do a step back and really start at this product marketing level again to identify what is the main use case that could make sense? And not all the use cases of the company's product need to be product-led. Sometimes you can maybe as well just start with one use case for the product-led one and keep the other one separate sales-led. So we've done that with one company I've been working as well. One was really for SMB long tail market. And then parts of the product were really focusing specifically on more enterprise or yeah, partner deals. And they were left sales-led and um, we separate the, them already in the sign-up form. Um, although maybe the initial value proposition was similar, depending on who they were, they were able to test and use the product or uh, were led to sales straight. Two different sales motions, one one company. Yeah. Oh, that's a nightmare as well. Like that, it's, it sounds great, but at the same time, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry, you were going to say something. It is complicated, absolutely. And that's why I prefer to really make sure from the start when I'm working with companies that they understand their use cases, understand the complexity it will bring, and then um, really decide, okay, what's a, an element we can start trying instead of just making it all product-led and we're all going to be do that. And then it's going to be a big chaos. Sales is not on board and we'll just like not understand what it means for them. And um, there's, there's going to be some, some clashes between the teams because of that. And we don't want that. Right. So that would just slow everything down. Um, so, yeah, I guess invalidating PLG use cases is very, very important. 100%, 100%. And even with that double sales motion that you mentioned there, like, the sales motion has been PLG plus SLG, so product-led growth and sales-led growth. If you're trying to run that like beside one another, you've essentially got two funnels, right? You've got two, <laughs> you've got what you've got it for 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 simplicity's sake, you have people that might be filling out a demo request form, and you've got people that might be falling into a free trial. Right. Yes. So 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 exactly. like uh, or even to make it even more simple or to show like the night and day of it all you've got like a b2b model like a very classic b2b sales model which is the sales led growth and then you've got the product led growth which is very similar to a b2c model where yeah. you're trying to get the mass in and then here you're just trying to get really key decision makers in so like you're essentially running two different styles of marketing within one marketing team and that i've had that experience as well working with customers where they're like oh we'll just get the one team to do it all i'm like exactly doesn't work that's not gonna work <laughs> no you know so <laughs> and yeah. i think that is what part of the communication or conversations we're having for sure like if you have these different you know if you want to do all these use cases because no one wants to or people don't like to decide for one then that means you need to do a different marketing you need to really have a different sales approach so you need to have dedicated sales people for the different motions even if you have a product-led use case there is 
very often in B2B still, a sales touch at some point needed, sometimes not needed to really convert them because maybe they're not all converting through the users or there's an, an expansion opportunity. So you need to have different teams for, for all that or different people because otherwise it gets really messy and won't work. And that's a lot of work. Yes. So um, we help to, or I help to decide as well, okay, which which one should we do? Do you are you willing to do both of them really? Then you need to really release the resources for that as well. Yeah, and at the same time, you need to also look at your pricing structure and making sure that you're not blowing blowing customer acquisition costs by introducing sales touches when your product is is super cheap, right? If you go too cheap, then your customer acquisition cost versus your lifetime value or that efficiency metric is gonna be looking pretty horrendous. So I think what you just mentioned there is works pretty nicely if you get your pricing right, whilst at the same time also automating it in the smaller companies, or if you're putting everybody into a free trial motion, then smaller companies are being self, self-sustained. So they're looking after themselves, right? And um, you go over a certain level size of company that then gets a sales touch that goes into a touch workflow is what I would call it. Um, and then sales are looking to get those ones over the line, but only when they get over a certain size, because then you're making sure that your efficiency metrics with that sales headcount is making sense, right? Absolutely. Yeah, they need to have a certain size. Otherwise, sales touch is not really worth it. I mean, I don't know what what's your rule of thumbs you're working with, but if it's like below 5,000 um, annual revenue, I would say like, you know, not really worth a lot of sales touches. And um, that's what um, yeah we're trying to look at as well when um, we're defining the strategies but yeah great great i just looking at time and we've really got into the weeds around product-led growth so like i'm super happy with that because it's been really valuable and we were after <laughs> running out of time so look I, where can people find you juliana so uh, you can find me on linkedin juliana mendes and that's basically my main channel where you can reach me <laughs> perfect well hey look it's been really great speaking with you thank you so much for coming on again Likewise. it's been great and uh, yeah, like if there's anything we can do for you, let us know. Um, and I'll make sure to share all your details also in the in the description of this. We'll share your bio, etc. So yeah, guys, this has been another episode of This Is Your Captain Speaking. We'll see you again next week for more great content. Juliana, thanks so much. Thank you. Bye.